You're listening to teaching from the Word of God, provided by Black Forest Chapel. This is the church where you will find biblical teaching and authentic worship with family and friends. We are located in Black Forest near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs, Colorado. We invite you to join us this Sunday. Find our location, worship times, and more at blackforestchapel.org. Let's pray this morning as we open God's Word, and um, I'd like to pray for uh, Vera Marchbank, our sister who continues to be in hospice in her home. Um, Let's pray for her, for her health, for her family. Um, And I was just informed right before the service, uh, Matt, um, who's a firefighter, his family was coming into the service, and on Shoop and Volmer, there was a um, pretty bad accident, and there was one fatality right before service, and so Matt was helping out. And uh, we don't know who these people are, but if we could pray for this family um, and for the deceased and the family, um, they are in our community. So uh, let's pray this morning. And seek the Lord's help. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that you are God above, you are in heaven, you are sovereign, you are all-powerful, you are present everywhere, Lord, you know everything, you are transcendent as we've been discussing, Father, you are other, you are separate, you're unsearchable in so many ways and that you're also imminent, Lord. You, you come down and you want to be with your people and you've sent your son, Emmanuel, God, with us to rescue us, to save us from our sin. For our Father, without you, we are hopeless and helpless. But because of your great love for us, your people, we belong to you. We're your family. We are your sons and daughters of the king of the universe. And so, Lord, we're completely and utterly in gratitude this morning for all that you do and who you are. And Lord, help us in our limitation to worship you, to to have you be the focus of our affections, that we would not have divided hearts, that we would learn to love your law, the scriptures, the word of God, that we would not despise it or walk away from it, Lord, or live contrary to it. But instead, Lord, we would pursue you an abiding walk with you, Lord Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we would produce fruit in this life that gives you glory, Father, and not ourselves. So, Lord, that's why we come this morning to worship you, to lift up your name, to engage as your people, to bring you glory, and to listen to your word, to receive it, to obey it, to walk in it, Lord, because it is good for us. And we know, Lord, the world around us needs to, to know who you are. So we, we, sh- we share with the world who you are by loving one another. The world knows that we are your disciples, Lord Jesus, by our love. Help us with that, Lord. We are, we are in great need, Father. And we thank you for um, everyone in this congregation, Lord, and, uh, that comes and that serves and that participates and that um, uses their gifts, Lord, for your glory. May we be a church on mission. May we be moving forward um, toward a goal of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the world around us and not just sitting and consuming, Lord. And as we do that, we care and we love for one another. So we pray for our sister Vera as as she um, is in hospice, as she continues to be very tired and drained from the bleed in her brain. uh, But Lord, thank you that she's home. Thank you that her family is surrounding her. I pray for uh, for Vera to be restored, if that is your will, Father. She still desires. She was here last Sunday at service because she is your stubborn daughter who 
loves to be um, with your people. It's an amazing gift. It was a model for me to see that, Lord. Of all the excuses that we have for not coming to service, this woman who is in hospice, who can barely stay awake, who can barely move, desired to be here with your people worshiping. Father, teach our hearts through this woman, even as she spends her last days with her family. And I pray you bless your family, give them strength and endurance and perspective and help them in their, in their time right now as they, they need you. Father, we pray for this family who we do not know, and yet we, we pray for them because um, they're your creation and they are a family who just lost, um, lost someone in an incident through a car accident nearby, Lord. We ask you would help this family right now with their own injuries and help the first responders to care for them, to get them to the hospital. To, I pray for the doctors to be um, skillful and understanding about what their needs are. You would restore them and help them, but specifically in their grief, Father, would you help them um, in this loss to seek you and not to seek self or some other form of uh, numbing or distracting or um, moving away from you, Father. We, we desire that they come to know you um, if they do not uh, through this experience. And Lord, if there's any way that this church, our church, our people here in this place can help them, Father, please make those connections. Help us to serve. So, Lord, we thank you that although there is heaviness around us and we live in a fallen world, you are a great God, and you are a God that encourages and lifts up, and you transform, Father. Help us this morning in our great need to hear from you. Help me to be clear. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we've been in uh, the book of Exodus for a while now. I stopped looking back. I don't remember when we started, but it's been a long time. Um, but hopefully it's been a good journey. Uh, we've been watching uh, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, who made a promise to make a people for himself, to make a nation. He made that promise to Abraham and has passed it along through generations and that he would give them a land, that he would be their God, and that um, ultimately they would be a light to the world. And so uh, we see that unfolding as God um, rescued his people from Egypt, from over 400 years of bitter, harsh service, from slavery, from bondage. God rescued his people. He brought them out of Egypt in miraculous ways. He judged all of the gods of Egypt. And he's showing them, introducing them. I am the one true God. There is no one like me. I am high and lifted up. I am the great I am, the self-existent one. There's, I have no beginning and no end. God is teaching them who he is, that he is all-powerful. And all these other gods are false gods and that they are to serve him alone. And So God, we saw him make a covenant with his people, this contract, this, this uh, promise um, that if they would listen to his voice and obey his commands that, that he would protect them, right, as a king would. So we know that in that time period, the kings would make pacts or contracts with, with subjects. Maybe they, they, they're, they're going to be ruling this certain country or these people, and they make this contract and say, I'll provide for you, I'll give you all, but you have to give me your loyalty. You have to follow the laws of the land. So God has made this in this Mosaic covenant as he began, and he didn't give them any of the conditions right off the hand. He just said, you need to trust me. Just sign here because I'm God and I'll tell you the rest later, right? And now the rest is coming. And so before God gives them his law, the Ten Commandments as we know, 
Before he begins, he, the Lord came down. The king came to visit his people. And it was, an, it was an awesome picture that we looked at last week. This incredible God who's transcendent, who's other, who's holy, who's perfect. He's morally perfect in every way that we can't look at his face or we would die. And God says he brought his people to himself. And yet God's saying, well, come here, but stay there. Right? This God who's revealing himself, coming down on Mount Sinai, but he has to be shrouded in a cloud, and there's fire, and there's smoke, and there's lightning, and there's thunder, and there's trumpets coming from somewhere, and there's all kinds of crazy, there's earth, the earth is, is quaking, and God's saying, I want you to come near when I tell you, but, 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 but don't come too close. Similar to the burning bush in Moses, right? Moses was the burning bush. He was introducing himself to Moses, but he said, don't come too close. This is holy ground. Take your sandals off. Don't try to look. There are the secret things of God that don't belong to man. And so he puts up all these parameters and he sets these limits and these boundaries. And so the people can only come so far, but Moses, his, his, his man, his deliverer, right? His, his voice piece is the leader He's allowed to go further up and, and bring Aaron with him. And really what we see here is kind of an a bl- early blueprint of the, the tabernacle to come, right? The temple. We see the mountain as kind of this tabernacle where the people can come to the outer, outer court, the holy place, the holy of holies, but only Moses, only the high priest can go up there. So if we turn that sideways, it's a similar kind of function that God is creating for his people. This is how he's going to dwell with them. And so God comes down, and it's, awe, it's just awe-inspiring, and there's, there's no doubt who this God is, and he is completely powerful, and he is to be feared. He's to be re- there's to be a reverence and an awe toward this holy God, and the people get it. They understand. We saw um, at the end of or chapter 20, verse 20, they were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. In verse 19, and Moses said, you speak to us. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. They, they get it. They get the power. They get the majesty. They get who this God is. There's no doubt. It's, it's just the power is just resonating out of their chest. The, we, we talked about just standing against something that's so great. And I talked about fireworks last week. You've ever been under a fireworks show, just the pulsing and how you feel it in every bone in your body and how much, how much that must have felt to these people, to God's people. And God warned them multiple times, don't let them break through. Don't let them come up. And so we see this picture of this holy God coming down. So this is the context now. God has their attention, right? He has, the, once again, this is a well over 2 million people surrounding this mountain. It's an amazing picture. And God has their attention, and God's going to speak to them personally, face to face. Yes, he's, he's going to later write it down on tablets for Moses, which is also amazing, that the, the very finger of God is, he doesn't have fingers, but he's writing on the tablets. Can you imagine God's handwriting? Right? We wouldn't have to guess anything. You guys send me notes, and I appreciate everything. I can tell if it's, a, if it's a, typically a woman who sent me a note, because I'm, I'm just admiring. Like This must have taken them like 12 hours to write this. It's so beautiful, and I can read everything, and... And then if a guy writes me a note, I can't tell if they're mad or if they're just in a hurry. Just, I don't know what they said, but it's a nice card, so thank you. I, I appreciate that. But God's fingerprint, you're not going to mistake that. He's, he's writing this out. This is very personal. He's giving this law, and he's speaking it to his people, so there's no misinterpretation. Right? They know what God says. <clears throat> when it comes to the law, there's... There's a little bit of a, 
maybe misunderstanding sometimes in the church. We know that we're not under the law, right? We read that in, in Romans. We read this in Galatians. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. So the law is not for us as New Testament believers. Well, that's true to some degree. And when it comes to God's moral law, what we'll see here in the Ten Commandments, the moral law is based on who God is. It's based on his nature, right? His divine attributes. It's, it's, it's holy. It's just. It's unchanging. It's, it's a creator God providing a way to govern his creation that is good, and so that innervates all of our life all the time. That's the standard of God's truth. And so we see a lot of the, the Ten Commandments being brought up in the New Testament and then being expanded upon and really just kind of given us the heart behind it. Even Jesus takes some of the, 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 um, the Ten Commandments. He'll take some of those and he'll actually expand. You know, it's not just about adultery. It's about lusting in your heart. If you even look at a woman with lust, you're committing adultery with her. There's, it goes to that degree. And so it's, it's not that we just remove the law. The point, though, is that we don't depend the law to justify us. We can't depend on the law to save us. That's not the purpose. The law actually exposes our sin. It's like a, one, one author has talked about the, the, the law itself is like a mirror that you hold up, and that it helps you to see the dirt on your face, right? But you don't then take that same mirror and start rubbing the dirt off your face, Right? The mirror just shows you, and then you get water, and you, you wash it off with water. And so the, the law exposes, it illuminates the fallen state of man and the sinfulness of man, and the blood of Christ is what washes us clean. It points us to the need for a Savior. So, we, But we don't discount the law. Paul says in Romans 3.31, Do we then nullify the law because we have faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. There's an idea of, well, because we are God's people now, we want to live in God's way. And this is, this is how holy people live. We are to be a, we're chosen people. We're a holy nation, right? We're a kingdom of priests, as, as, as God was calling his people. Is there a treasured possession? We are the same. And so how do, we, how do we live? We live according to God's statutes, his law, God's word. He teaches us how to live. And so we don't dispose of this. Just like a father, if, if my sons say, hey, Dad, I really love you, and they genuinely mean it, and I actually believe them for a moment, I'm like, wow, you really, you really do love me. You know what? Let's just forget all the rules of the house now. Let's just do whatever you want, right? No, they're, they're there for a purpose. They're there to help and to protect and to, and to nurture and to, and to train up and to send out. And so, and so we still need those structures, even though there's a growth of affection happening in the home. We don't throw those out. And Paul says in Romans 6.15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Do we have all this license? And that's the line we walk, right? This legalistic mentality where, well, I have to keep the law to the letter. I've got to still earn my way. I've got to make sure God's happy with me by doing these things versus the, the license, the freedom just to do whatever because we're under grace and God's going to forgive me. No, we don't, we don't live in either one of those extremes. We want to please our Lord, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to help us to do that because we can't do it on our own. And so what we're reading here is, is this moral law that is not, it's not thrown away for us. We still need to keep it. Yes, but it's not about keeping it to make ourselves right with God. We can't do that. Only Jesus could keep the, all the conditions of the law. And so by putting our faith in Christ, and then we are justified before holy God because Jesus kept all the conditions. He kept the whole law. We can't. But because we belong to Christ, we want to please the Lord We engage with the law. We, we, we live according to God's statutes and not our own. 
This is God's expression of righteousness and his perfect will for our life. And so we want to do that. So the moral law is still for us, and we'll see how that innervates the New Testament as well. There are other laws that we'll get to later. There are ceremonial laws that are the sacrificial system, which because the, 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 the Ten Commandments, the law of God was not able to save, they still needed atonement for their sins, and so they still had to confer their sins onto an animal and have that blood spilled, and then they were, they were forgiven for that moment. But they had to do that again and again and again and again until Jesus came. That was once again a foreshadowing to Christ and that he was the once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of man. But the ceremonial laws, we're not bound by those any longer. And there's festivals and there's, 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 there's laws to help remember, right? Feasts and, and festivals, there's cleansing laws, there's all these other types of laws that we'll get to in the rest of Exodus. And as you look in Leviticus, there's judicial and civil laws, which were just, how do we govern based on this moral law? How do we how do we do all these? How do we expand it and apply it to daily life? Right? <clears throat> but the church now, we're not a state to be governed by judicial civil law in that regard. So the moral law still, still, still underlies how we live this life. And so the Ten Commandments are not necessarily wiped away. We are once again not dependent on them for anything. We are to live them out to please a holy God. And if we look through them, common sense would tell us, yeah, these, these are still good for us, right? So let's look at Exodus chapter 20. I'm just going to go through the first, um, uh, the first commandment this morning, but I'm going to read through verse 17 so we have the full context. Once again, remember the, the picture here, mountain shaking, thunder, lightning, you know, trumpets, blasting, smoke, fire, people... Not sure what to do. Do I touch that rock? Do I not touch that rock? I'm going to die. I'm probably going to die right now, but I'm in front of this holy God who loves me and he wants to be with me. They're not to run away. They're just to obey, right? And then Moses is, is there and God is speaking directly. to. Can you imagine this? I, I just, it's incredible. And God spoke all these words saying, and here's the preamble. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of of slavery. Now he has said this multiple times. He's he's made him made it clear who he is, but he's he's just once again, I am the Lord your God. Who brought you out of the land of Egypt. This is what I did. Who else saved you? Was there another God that saved you out of Egypt? Because I remember pretty much thrashing the, the God of the Nile. I just embarrassed him, right? Turning the Nile to blood and they couldn't so, so that's, that can't be it. And there's gods of fertility and per, other types of provision in the underworld and gods of storms and gods of health. And systematically, I just wiped all of them out right in front of your very eyes. None of those gods saved you. None of those gods helped you. But he, the, the Lord, their God, he's the one who brought them out of Egypt. He's making that clear. Remember what just happened. Remember 400 years of slavery. Remember my promises. Remember that I am Yahweh. This is who I am. And so he has all the authority to provide these, these, these commandments to his people. And the first commandment, in light of that, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is in your neighbor's, that is, that is your neighbor's. <clears throat> I'll just read the rest of this section because it's, it's awesome. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. And so we we see this, this amazing law being given to his people, this perfect law. It, you know, when we, when we think of law, when we think of the Ten Commandments, we think of restriction, we think of burden, we think of things... Yeah, if we have to rely on that for salvation, absolutely. But when it comes to God's economy and the fact that we are justified by faith alone, and now because of the Holy Spirit and because we have Christ, we have the freedom to live out God's law and to be his people. And we are growing in holiness even as we are already holy. We're growing in sanctification. Right? We're becoming more like Christ. This, the law is, is freedom for us. It's, 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 it's a firm foundation. It's footing that we can actually stand on, whereas the rest of the world is constantly shifting and moving. They have nothing to stand on because they don't have God's word. There was a, um, there was a book released in 2014 by a couple of uh, secular humanists. Um, humanists. Humanism is essentially a philosophical stance, kind of a moral doctrine that really looks at the virtue and the uh, the agency, the value of human beings as the highest that you can. So, so supernatural things. God is they're essentially atheists, agnostics, um, looking at human beings as having the greatest intrinsic value. So, there's a the goal here is to ha- help every human to individually flourish, but also collectively and 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 globally flourish together. That's the it's kind of the goal in mind here. They want to seek happiness in this life because there's really nothing afterwards. And so, so human beings are the are, are are what's to be valued and to be promoted, and to see human progression is the, the kind of the highest goal. And so, these two uh, gentlemen wrote a book called "Atheist Mind and Humanist Heart: Rewriting the Ten Commandments for the 21st Century." So they wanted to rewrite and challenge God on who has the best top ten list, right? And so these two guys, they were they were both Stanford grads, and um, and, and their their idea, they said their hardest to that we would all live rightly with one another and progress as a race. And so they have they have a whole 
They have their own 10 non-commandments. Really, they're more, in my mind, 10 suggestions because they can change at any moment, right? But this, is, this, this kind of speaks to our culture. It's nothing new. If we look at Romans 1, it's just this depraved mind and everybody doing whatever they want to do and, and, and God giving them over to those things. They, they sacrifice God's truth. And so these, these 10, they, they came with a, they actually did a contest as well, um, a cash contest to see um, if anyone else could come up with any better ones or just, to, just as a fun thing to promote the book. And so there's some, in my mind, dishonorable mentions here I can put up as well. So these, these are not, these didn't make the cut, but these are some of the ones that, that were, came in through um, submissions all around the world to promote this book. Um, one of them was treat others as you would want to be treated. And one sounds, sounds familiar, right? Yeah. I wonder who came up with that one. Um, be open-minded and willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Strive to understand what is most likely to be true. Strive to under... That's just exhausting. How do you know, right? You just don't. And then this one was fun. There is no one right way to live. So really, be open-minded, but... You can be closed-minded too. It's fine. Right? You can do whatever you want to do. So these were all. Um, these were some of the dishonorable mentions in my estimation. But here's here's the top ten that made the book. This has made the cut here. And we'll, we'll. I just. This is helpful because we're. If you think about all that's happening in our world, and when people make, when people promote and they, they pass legislation in the, in the House and the Congress, when 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 presidents make decisions, when governors make decisions, when. How are they making those decisions? Where is the standard of truth where they can then look at those things and say, yes, this is good and this is not good? If you don't have a standard of God's word, then you make it up as you go. So I know we're always frustrated by that as God's people because we see what is true. We see what, what we should be doing. And when the world does not do that, we just, we just sit in frustration. Like, why? Well, we know why. Because their standard is constantly moving. It's a moving target. And so... Yes, be frustrated, I guess, but also know God's word well. Pray for our people in authorities. Pray for our country. Pray for other people. Take the word of God out and teach truth to the people around us. Right? We knock on doors and we get people to register to vote and we do all these things. We knock on doors and teach people what God's truth says so they vote properly. Right? Do we do that? It's, this, it's, it's that serious. But here's the, here's the top ten from these two humanists who um, wanted to reshape the 21st century with their own version of the Ten Commandments. Number one, the world is real, and our desire to understand the world is the basis for belief. I had to read it so many times. It doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry. It just doesn't. The world's real. Okay, I got that one. I'm good. Our desire to understand the world is the basis for belief. Belief in what? I'm not sure. And so I then compared that to the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. That one's pretty clear. I get that one. This one I'm not quite sure. We can perceive, number two, we can perceive the world only through our human senses. So forget about the spiritual component. There is none, right? It's just what we can see and touch and feel. Number three is similar. We use rational thought and language as tools for understanding the world. Number four, all truth is proportional to the evidence. So there's no faith here in the unseen. There's just whatever I can see and touch and feel, that's what's real. That's it. And then their logical conclusion comes in number five, which it took them a while to get there. There is no God. That's number five. Number six, we all strive to live a happy life. 
We pursue things that make us happy and avoid things that do not. No, I'm sorry. Maybe you're, I, I just picture some people sitting in a field and there's just flowers floating around and we all just strive to live. I, I don't, I, there's, there's no, there's no grounding once again in any of this. We all strive to live a happy life. We pursue things that make us happy and avoid things that do not. Well, yeah, okay. That's, that's definitely humanist. That's all about self. Number seven, there is no universal moral truth. Our experiences and preferences shape our sense of how to behave. Our experiences and our preferences shape our sense of how to behave. There's no moral truth. So whatever you feel like doing, you do. And that's your truth. This is what we're, this is, this is real. This is like a, this is a researched work by two Stanford grads trying to reshape how people think in the 21st century. And, and there's plenty of other books like it. Number eight, we act morally when the happiness of others makes us happy. We act more. I know this is, this is hilarious, but it's also very sad. I know we're all trying not to laugh, but at the same time, like, what? What are you talking about? We act morally when the happiness of others makes us happy. So, okay. We benefit from living in and supporting an ethical society. And number 10, all our beliefs are subject to change in the face of new evidence, including these. So... Just do this and start over. Whenever you feel like it, whatever day it is, here's your truth. And right, this is what we're this is what we're dealing with here. And so, when you come to people and you want to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we got to talk about who this God is. Who's the living? We need to talk about who the right God is because there's tons of gods out there for people to worship. And we might think, well, we're not living in ancient Egypt. We're not living in the time of the Exodus, and so those gods are more tangible because they've got little, they've got carved idols, they've got, you know, they've got depictions on walls, they've got things. No, we, we, have, we have idols in our time. We have gods that we put before the living God, and we'll talk about some of those here in a moment. But ultimately, are, are the Ten Commandments still good for us? Are they still necessary? Jesus explains this for us in Matthew chapter 22 when asked about that. This is the great commandment. But when the Pharisees, Matthew 22, 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, an expert in the law, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And in Luke 10, he adds, with all your strength. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So Jesus didn't come to abolish, but to fulfill the law. And he's met all the conditions, and so we put our faith in him. We are justified before holy God. But now we have other, we have new commandments that really everything else hangs on that we saw in the, in the moral law and the Ten Commandments. And Jesus even addressing um, the rich young man in Mark 10. Says, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. 
You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Notice that Jesus, when it came to loving your neighbor and the, 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 the commandments related to how we love people. So the commandments are broken up into how do we love God? How do we love people? How do we live with God? How do we live with people according to God's standard? The, the command of, of covetousness is, is not in here. Do not covet because that's what he's struggling with. Possession, wanting to, to have great possession. And not only did he not want to give up possession, he didn't want to follow Jesus. So what was his God? Who's his God? Possession, wealth, materialism, right? It still stands for us. Romans 13, 8 through 10. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And so we see this law being fulfilled in how we live as believers, right? Under the new covenant. Christ has saved us. He's, and he's sanctifying us by his Holy Spirit and through the word. And so we are to be transformed in the likeness of Christ. And we have to love other people the way that Christ does. And when we do that, we're, we're, we're fulfilling the law. We're pleasing our Lord. Not to, not to depend on that for any type of salvation. Not to, not to go back like the Judaizers who came in in the book of Galatians and tried to put that extra burden of works back on God's people. Yeah, Jesus is great, and, and he's your savior, and he's a great guy. And I, but you still, if you want to be God's people, you still have to do all of these things. Here's 613 pages of things you need to do. Complete and, and, and follow. If you don't, and if you're not circumcised, then you're not really part of the covenant people. And, and Paul's like, why would you go back to these miserable principles that could not save you? when it was by faith alone and Christ alone. And so we fulfill the law by, by loving God and by loving people. And we can't do that on our own. And we need God's help every day. And we depend on him for those things. And so the law is for us. Just as, as Paul said, do we then nullify the law by this faith? No, not at all. Rather, we uphold it. We live it out to God's glory Right? And for our good, it's good for us. I love in the, in the Psalms how they depict the law of God. Psalm 19, verses 7. Um, 7 through 9. Psalm 19 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Haven't you ever just had that moment where you're reading God's word and you're struggling with something and the Holy Spirit just speaks to you out of that passage, out of that verse, and it just your eyes are just open and you see yourself and you see your sin and you see the solution. and It's an amazing, God speaks to us through his word. It enlightens that God's word is pure. It's truth. 
The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired they are they than gold and even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. This is a preciousness about God's word that we should be desiring as his people. And I, I, would, I would dare to say that when we are in God's word, when we're actually praying and, and spending time in his word, and I know some of you are going through the... Um, the reading plan that we gave out at the beginning of the year, and others of you are looking around like, where's my reading plan? I don't know where that thing is, right? But that's, which is fine. <laughs> God's word is still here. Um, but, if, but if you've been reading God's word, you, you, you know this is true. You know that, you, that there's, a different, <clears throat> there's a different feel to the day because you're, you're walking on solid ground, because the, your perspective is different, and God is bigger, and all your problems are smaller. And, right? That's, the, that's the, the purpose here. God feeds us, and we don't, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word from the mouth of God. And so we need his nourishment. We're talking about that in the prayer time up there, how, how food is important. And we don't usually miss a meal, and our stomach starts to grumble, and we know what the stomach pains feel like, and so we know we need to feed ourselves. Do we, do we, are we getting attuned to the spiritual hunger pains in our life? Noticing, I'm a little short-tempered today. And I, I'm a little off today, and I'm, I didn't really talk to my wife very well. I didn't talk to my son the way that I would like to. And I, I was just kind of lazy today, or I just, there's this pridefulness today. Do we understand the, the kind of the spiritual hunger pangs of needing to be in God's word and feeding and getting nourished by his word? And so the, the, the Ten Commands are going to help us with that as we walk through together. And so we're just going to look at the first one um, in our last... 10 minutes if I'm being ambitious here. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall have another gods besides me. You shall have another gods before my face and my presence. Opposed or over and against me, you shall have no other gods. Because God's omnipresent, he's everywhere. You can't hide them anywhere. You shall have no other gods before me. Why was it necessary for God to give them this commandment? Well, if you remember their forefathers, even Abraham's father, they were idolaters. They, they worshipped many gods, and they just came from a land that worshipped a pantheon of gods. There's a God for everything, right? And they're going to a land that has surrounded by their nations that are idolatrous, that have idols. And God wants to be their only God. All of these other gods are false gods. They didn't, who saved you, Right? Who saved you? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So you should have no other gods before me. Isaiah 42.8 I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God doesn't share his glory with anyone. He doesn't. We've talked about the doctrine of God through Exodus and who he is, and that he is alone worthy of our worship and our praise. No one else is. And so he wants to make sure they are devoted to him alone. And so for us this morning, is, is, are our hearts devoted to God alone? And you might think so because I don't have little idols sitting on my, my mantle at home and I'm not bowing down to candles and pictures and things in my, my study or in my bedroom. I'm not doing those things. So of course, God is my only God. But do you love God above everything else in your life? Above father and above mother and son or daughter? Your career, your home, your, your, your land, your entertainment, your vehicles, your, your, 
possessions, your personal comfort, your personal pleasure is God above all of those things. If not, there are gods in your life. And you need to recognize those. And I'd like for us to, as a, as a congregation, get to a place where we can say with, with David in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. You are my God. And earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Do we, do we talk about God in those, in those terms? Do we seek him in that way? Or are we being satisfied with all these, we're just kind of grazing throughout the day on these little mini-gods here and there all over the place, and we're kind of full, but we kind of feel sick, and we're a little constipated now. And we, got, you know, we, we have all these problems, because, and we don't know why. It's because we're not, we're not f- focusing on the, on the one true God, and we have all these other distractions. Because you know what? Man does not need to be commanded to worship. We, we, we all are, it's, it's in our, we know we're supposed to be worshipers. And so people will worship something. Everyone's looking for salvation. Everyone's looking for help. Think about all the gods in Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world at that time. And they had everything you could think of. They were industrious. They were just, they had a powerful army. They had all, why are you worshiping a, a, a god that has a head of a frog? And that, why? Like, What? Why are you doing that? Well, because we want to make sure we're fertile, and we want to make sure that the ground stays fertile. And when we hear the frogs, we know that that's, that means we're going to have a good spring. I mean, there's, there's enough water, and that it's going to be lush and green. And so, and so they, they know, they, they have a sense that there's, there's, there's a creative order, there's something that governs that, and they just go to the wrong place. And so God is, is removing, and in this, in this whole portfolio of gods in the world around, this crowded field, God is saying, no, 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 it's me. I am God. I'm the creator God. I'm the only God. There's no one else. And so in the same way for our life, <laughs> we, have to, we have to move all these other things aside. Who saved us? If you are a believer in this room, right, who saved you? The one true God, and Jesus Christ. He saved you. Who sanctifies you? God through his Holy Spirit and by his word as he speaks. So now the question is, who's going to satisfy you in all the areas that you desire? Who's going to, who's going to help satisfy all these fleshly desires that you have? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, these are things from the world. They're not from the Father, and yet we have to contend with them while we still live in this world. And so the first commandment is important. It, it clarifies that he is the only God. In Acts 17, I love this uh, section, because once again, Roman culture, Greek culture, they, they would just add gods um, as much as possible. There was almost, they would invite anyone to, to, who has a God to just bring them, sure, bring them along. Let's find a spot on the shelf for them, right? Why? Because they want to make sure they're covered. They want to make sure they cover all their bases so they don't anger anyone or have misfortune or have any problems in this life. So Paul's addressing the Oropagus. Um, so Paul, standing in the midst of the Oropagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. This is uh, Acts seventeen You're very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Why would you have an inscription to an unknown God? Well, we just want to make sure that we cover everything, right? So 
we're worshiping all these gods, but if there's one up there that we're not quite sure about, and we, wanna, we, we, we love you too, and we worship you, we don't know who you are, we don't know what you look like or what you do. Right? That's, that's a, that's a, that's a, that shows kind of the panic of man to try to figure out and to, to save self. We need to save ourselves somehow. And so Paul says to the unknown, to the, he says, What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he, give, he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. This is completely countercultural, right? Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said. For we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead." Paul is, is sharing the gospel, he is, but he's sharing who the true God is and that we are not to divide ourselves. And so all the other commandments kind of flow from this first one, right? If you don't know who the right God is, the true God is, then you're not going to know how to worship him properly, which is the second commandment, right? So everything flows from this. And so if you have a problem with another commandment, if you have a problem with the third commandment and and you're, you're taking the Lord's name in vain. And I don't even know why. You know, it's just, it's just sinister how Satan works, right? That Jesus Christ and that God himself is a curse word in our vernacular. What about the other religions? Like what? No one says Buddha or, right? In Hindu, all of their gods sound like curse words. Shiva and Vishnu. Those would be perfect, Right? But why is it Jesus Christ? And why is it God? Why are we taking his? And there's other implications to taking the Lord's name in vain. But, but in general, like what, if we have a problem with that, then we don't know who the true God is. We don't know who we're really talking about. Something's wrong with our heart. So we go back to the first, so we have no other gods before him. Because there's a problem. If we're having a problem with stealing, and we, we just justify it in our minds and say, well, yeah, Lord, but they, they, they don't... They, they can kind of put up with a little bit of stealing. It's just my business. It's my office. And they, they don't miss anything. And, and, and the IRS, they're a government bureaucracy. And I can steal from them all day because everyone does it. And why not? And then cheat on my taxes. And I'll do these things. And there's a heart problem here that you don't trust the living God, that you don't want to obey the things that he has said to do. We're to live differently. We're to be different in this world. So if we're having a problem, we go back to the first one. What is a, where are we putting our trust and our hope? Is it in God alone or not? And Israel had the same problem time and again. They turned away from God and they were punished as a result. But they, they, didn't, they didn't renounce God altogether. They just wanted to add in other gods. 
that were around them. Just like they wanted to add a king. They see the nations around them. They want to be like those nations. They, they, they desire the things that they see. And that's similar to, to our sin today when it comes to these gods. And some of the gods, I'll just list them for you quickly here, that we worship at the altar of self, self-indulgence, whether it's, whether it's drugs or alcohol or food or sex or any type of lustly pleasures or just, just the aggrandizement of self. We, want to, we live in a selfie environment, a selfie generation where we just we want, we want pictures of ourselves everywhere, right? We want to admire ourselves. We want to, there's just, it's unhealthy. The God of self is used, the God of materialism. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve God and possessions. You've got you to choose one. Who will you serve today? You can't do both. If you put your trust in possession and in wealth and all the things that you have, you're not putting your trust in the living God who provides all these things for you, for your benefit, to be good stewards of, to bless other people. All this stuff is temporary. It all goes away. We can't take it with us. And so instead, your treasure should be in heaven, Jesus says. So focus on that. What is your God? Pride and ego, your career, your, your status, your title, your power, right? It used to be that the guys were just garbage men, Right? You're just a garbage man. Now you're sanitation engineers all of a sudden. And why? What? Just to make people feel better? Do you need to, right? We all have to change our, our moniker. We have to change our, our label on our door or our title so that we feel like we're a little bit better. So that we're not judged by other people that would look down on us. There's just something about it. We have to achieve and grow and climb the ladder. And there's nothing wrong with achievement, but if it's for the sake of finding your value of who you are, if it becomes a god to you, then, then you have to go back to number one. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not. There's no compromise here. You can't have me as your God on Sunday and maybe Tuesday nights and on Monday and Thursday and Saturday mornings, you choose other gods, which is what Israel did, which is what we still do. And if you think about it logically, it's like a child coming up to his dad and saying, dad, you're a great dad. I, I, I love you and, and you're, you protect us, you care for us and you do all these good things and you're kind and... But there's this other dad down the street. He just moved in down the street, and he's got this really cool car. And I, I'm kind of thinking I'm going to add him to the to the dads. So he's going to be my dad too, all right? And then I, I just met this this friend from school. His dad owns a pizza place, and we can get free pizza. So we're, he's going to be my dad too. And I'm going to add a few dads in, right? And dad, you're going to be my on Sunday mornings, though. Dad, it's you. You're good. You're great. You're 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 the best dad. Right? But on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and maybe I'm going to go hang out with these other dads. We're going to have to find a calendar and figure out our time. And right? that, would be, that would be ridiculous, and we wouldn't allow it as, as parents. And we wouldn't live like that, and yet we do when it comes to our Heavenly Father. I love you, God, and you've done all these amazing things, but this other Father, this other God, has got some things I like too. So the question is, who saved you? Did all these other gods save you? Did you, did you save yourself? Then you're no God at all. Did your bank account save you? Did your job save you for eternity? Did science save you or food save you? Did anything? No. And so who... who Who's the only God that deserves your worship? Who sanctifies you? Who loves you with an everlasting love? 
Does your 401k love you with an everlasting love? No, there's a set period of time. It'll love you this long (laughs) if the market goes well, and that's it. There's conditions on that. Who sanctifies you? Who makes you holy? Who's keeping an eternal inheritance for you, preparing a room for you? And so who, who can only satisfy you? The one true God. So if your God is relationships, or if your God is um, your work, or if your God is entertainment, if your God is even, even if your God is ministry, we'll talk about idols next week and how this week we're talking about who the right God is that we are to worship. And the next week we'll talk about how we rightly worship him. How do we engage with God in a right way? But you need to go home and ask yourself, who, who are the other gods in my life? And have they saved me? Have they sanctified me? Do they satisfy me? And if they don't, you need to get rid of those gods and serve the true God, the one God. He alone deserves our worship and our glory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are Yahweh, you are the great I am, you are the, the Lord, our God. Oh God, you are our God. Earnestly we seek you, Lord. Help us, Father, in our limitation that we, we hunger and thirst after the wrong things, Lord, and we repent of that as your people this morning. We thank you that we belong to you, we turn back to you, Lord, and we want to live life the way you have instructed us to live, and not because... It's burdensome, Father, because it actually allows us to be free from the bondage of all these other things and from sin. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross and that your blood covers us and that we are justified before a holy God when we put our faith in you and you alone. Thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to indwell your people. And Although, Lord, we continue to walk in a fallen world and we continue to contend with um, sinfulness and contend with this flesh, Lord, and we continue to, um, time and again, Lord, we, we turn to other gods and we sin. But Lord, you're, you're, you're turning us back through your word as we gather and we worship as your people through prayer, through fellowship. When we do things your way, Father, there's great blessing. Help us to be a people who are fully devoted to you, Lord. I, would, I, I just have this Incredible desire, Father, to see your people being your people. And what would that look like if we were devoted to you and to you alone, that we would not have divided hearts, but instead, Lord, we would fully give ourselves to you in every aspect of life, that we would love you, Lord, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, Father. That we would give you our minds, that we wouldn't seek to gain knowledge for our own sake, to puff up ourselves or to gain traction in our careers or other things, Lord, we would... We would love you with, our, with the fullness of our mind by engaging in your word and learning and submitting to what we learn, Father, and thinking about you and thinking about good things and having proper perspective. And We love you with our bodies, Lord, and with all of our strength, and we would not seek out comfort or, or sleep or food or other things to feed our flesh, Father. We'd be satisfied in you alone. We would give our bodies to you as temples of the Holy Spirit, Lord. We would be engaged with ministry, using our gifts and being good stewards of all that you've provided, Father. Help us to just understand what it means to love you in this way, this holistic way that you are the one true God and you will not, you will not be pleased with half-hearted worship with allowing other gods around you, Lord. 
So please teach us, help us, Lord, in our limitation. Um, Thank you for your grace always. Thank you for how much you care for us. Thank you that you're sending us out into the world. We are not of the world, Lord, but we certainly are sent into the world to engage in the gospel ministry. Lord, give us strength and boldness to speak your truth in a world that has none. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from the Word of God. If you don't have a church home, we invite you to visit Black Forest Chapel in Black Forest, Colorado, near Monument and just north of Colorado Springs. You'll find biblical teaching and authentic worship in an environment that feels like family and friends. Get directions and more information at blackforestchapel.org.